This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he a strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast. Podcast episode number 75. We're doing it Tuesday, May the 2nd. Uh, and we did one about 12 hours ago, and here we are back again after an exciting Philadelphia, and improbable, by the way, Philadelphia 76ers win in game one of the Eastern Conference uh, semifinals. I, I am, st- I, it's 12 hours later, I'm still stunned. Uh, we were stunned last night, we did a mini podcast, I'm still stunned today. The podcast today, of course, brought to us by Bet Rivers. A little later in the podcast, we'll visit with Ross Tucker, former NFL player and uh, current analyst uh, for the Eagles uh, pregame uh, 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 preseason shows. And also, he's, of course, a Pennsylvania native. He does the Ross Tucker, Tucker podcast. We'll get to Ross in a little bit. But uh, as you can tell, I'm, I'm fumbling around this early because uh, the Sixers won that game last night. And, uh, <laughs> you know, listen, I'm going to go over some tweets that I put out earlier in the afternoon. And some thoughts that I had as the game was proceeding as as a way, as a prelude to breaking down uh, this particular game. So I I thought that the Sixers would play a really close game last night. Uh, And in fact, uh, I've seen this many times before in covering many years of sports where a team subconsciously tricks themselves into thinking it's going to be a little easier to beat their opponent. And that's what I think happened to Boston last night. Um, it's, it's, it's what I call the backup goaltender theory. When the backup goaltender is in there in hockey, the other team gets this, uh, you know, overconfident that they're going to beat the backup goalie. Meanwhile, what they don't account for is that the other team has to play twice as hard to account for the fact that it's a backup goalie. So if, if you're following me along here, the Celtics convinced themselves subconsciously they had a mindset that this game was going to be a little easier for them because Joel Embiid uh, was not going to uh, play in the game last night. Uh, maybe they do it consciously, but certainly subconsciously, it takes the edge off them. They think, 
this is going to be an easier game. They breathe a sigh of relief. And what they don't do is account for the other team playing really hard to overcompensate for the loss that they have. And, and they, so they have to make up the ground that they've lost because Joel Embiid's not in the game. And they play above their level most times. It happens all the time, even in professional sports. I had a lot of people saying, well, it only happens in high school. Or college. No, it doesn't. It happens in professional sports because these are all human beings. And, and it's more likely to happen in professional sports because these guys are so good, they think they can just walk out and win a game. So this is what I tweeted earlier in the day. I think the Sixers will give Boston a run tonight. Teams subconsciously go down a level when they know the other team's best team won't be playing, thinking they will win easy. So that I thought the Sixers would be right in the game. I did not think they could close it out. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm no Nostradamus to think they were actually going to survive that game. I thought it was going to be close. In the end, I thought they were going to lose out, and it, it would have been an effort that was you know admirable, but not a win. In, instead, they got the win out of it, which is which is really hard to process. So these are kind of the things I wrote down last night. As I'm watching the game in the first half, Boston's getting anything they want. They're just going to the basket. They're getting back cuts, great passes to the basket. There's no rim protector. They play Paul Reed. Paul Reed, let's face it, and, and he had some moments later, He's overmatched in a series like this. He just is. He's not going to – he's not – he can't figure out where to go uh, consistently all the time. He's out of position a lot. He he gets wild and crazy. Boston took advantage of that early. So uh, here's what the first thing I wrote down last night. Harden's going to have to be the old Harden and need at least 35 from him. That's right. The first thing I wrote down. The, the second thing I, I said that uh, – Harden was getting killed defensively. Maxi can't defend. These are the little things I'm writing down because they didn't defend at all. And Boston was getting anything they want. The problem was that the Sixers were getting everything they want. And they were staying with them offensively, which really surprised me. Uh, the Celtics had scored 34 uh, points in the paint of their first 52 points. And then Doc Rivers made a strategic move where he went zone. He went to a matchup zone which cooled them off a little bit, took their confidence away in, in really going rapidly to the basket, and it kind of slowed the Celtics down. All of a sudden, you look up, and it's halftime, and it's 66-63. Boston's shooting 73% from the field, and the Sixers hadn't gone to the line yet without a rim protector. And I said, well, that's a major victory. Now, I'm thinking that Boston would go into halftime and, and, and buckle down and say, okay, uh, we had this half where we – we lollygagged around. We let them score 63 points on us without Embiid, but they didn't. In the second, in the third quarter, they got shook a little bit. Jason Tatum wound up with 38 points. He had six points into the last basket of the third quarter. Jalen Brown went AWOL. Jalen Brown had three shots after the, a period in the second period. He only got three shots after that for the entire game. So they didn't get the usual one-two punch. Tatum scored. Jalen Brown was missing in action. And it sets up the Sixers in the game in the end. And this is where Boston goes, oh, my God. We got the pressure on us here. We're in our home building. Fans expect us to win. We thought this was going to be easy. The Bruins had set a template the night before to disappoint these fans. Now some extra pressure. You know what happens? The sphincter tightens up. And so sure enough, with the Sixers in the game and anything can happen, anything did happen. So let's go down to the final moments of this game. Of course, the monster step back three 
from James Harden was the killer with 8.4 seconds. And if you look at that play, the Celtics didn't guard it like they should have guarded it. They, they, the Sixers had a double screen up top with their bigs. And so Marcus Smart switched out right away and went with the, uh, the, the, uh, the roller on, on the screen, which left Horford and Harden. Now, uh, you know, Al Horford is a pretty good defender, but at the top of the perimeter, at the top of the three-point line, James Harden's going to beat him every time. And so Harden gives you now the, the little between-the-legs step-back patent shot, makes the shot, and kills the Celtics. That made it 117 to 115. The Celtics had had two possessions where they choked. There was one before the Harden step-back three where Malcolm Brogdon got all twisted up as the shot clock's running down, as the Sixers played great defense in that possession, and all of a sudden the, the clock's running down and Brogdon g- gets confused, and he throws it up top. He thinks he's throwing it to Tatum. He throws it right to Maxi. The world stops because everybody thought it was a, a, a shot clock violation. Maxi stopped. I said, well, I might as well go down and dunk it, and he scores the basket. Now Tatum's three throws put the Celtics back up, which set up the Harden step back three. But also in the end of that game, Paul Reed goes to the basket on a double team with Harden and, and, and gets fouled and makes two. And then later on makes the two that seals the victory. And the Sixers get an improbable victory last night to go one up in the series. Now, we got to look at what this does to the series. Does this make the Sixers closer to winning the series? Well, sure it does. If you win game one in Boston, you, you think now you have a viable chance to win this. The whole thing comes down to Embiid. And we don't know if he's going to play even in this series. I assume he'll, he'll give it a chance. To me, there is no way they're going to play him in game two. They got what they want. They got a bonus win in Boston in game one to go up one. The best they were going to do in Boston anyway is the split. They got that split already. You give Embiid a couple more days to rest. He hasn't even run yet. So maybe game three. I'm not even thinking that game three he plays. They may have to wait until game four for him to play. And they're probably at that point going to be down two to one. They tie it in game four. And it goes back to Boston for game five. With Embiid and whether the Sixers can win another game in Boston. If they win game five, they can win game six at home and win this series. I thought from the jump they had to win it in six. I don't like him in a a game seven at the TD Garden. So that's the template that is set up right now. They can somehow win this series in six. They would have to win one game in Philly and another game in Boston. So, Darren, listen, you're like, you watch the game, everybody watching the game. I watched it with eyes wide open. I'm going, that's ah, a shame. They're going to be right there, and in the end, they're not going to pull it off. But what an effort. And they wound up winning the game, and I swear to God, I was stunned by it. The whole game, I was right there with you. I thought they were going to come so close. I'm like, this is going to be one of those efforts that we're going to be like, God damn it, they were so close. They really could have stole that game. All day, I expected, all day today to be talking about they should have stole that game last night. And then with 35 seconds left, they stole the game. It was amazing. It really was. The whole game, I thought, oh, they're going to be so close. But I was right there with you in tow. Yeah, and I've read the Boston papers this morning. That They are freaking out. And what they're saying in Boston is all this great <laughs> fortune they've had with winning teams has now caught up to them. That's the mindset now. 
with back-to-back losses that they took in the TD Garden with the Bruins and the Celtics, they're saying, see, all this good fortune we had, fate is now coming back to bite us in the ass. So in Boston, they're freaking out. Meanwhile, the Sixers like uh, could, could play loose and, and, and goosey here. So uh, I, I also, listen, I tweeted a lot last night. I'm, I'm tweeting as the game is going on. And uh, so I, I just want to, uh, you know, give a couple of uh, as as I'm, and everybody was thinking and tweeting uh, the same thing. So so uh, I started out uh, tweeting last night with no Embiid, Sixers, Celtics destroying the Sixers defense, cutting to the basket. Then I said, Doc with the quick hook on Reed. He took Reed out really fast in that game because they were getting beat to the basket. Then I said, Harden going to need to score 40 to make up for his feeble defense tonight was what a tweet I put out there last night. Uh, and then I said, I love Maxie too, but he gets killed defensively. Now, here's here's another one. As they're getting beat to the basket and Boston's getting every shot they want, I put this one out there, which I know hurt people. I guess this is a game they could have used Thibault because they had nobody to defend last night. And then, I mean, I can't believe the Sixers are still in this, in this one. Boston's shooting 73%, have 40 points in the paint, and the Sixers haven't gone to the line. Weird. And then in the third quarter, it turns around. All of a sudden, Boston playing tight. And then I was so engrossed in the game, I didn't tweet until later, when P.J. Tucker smashed Jason Tatum in the balls. And I write, nice shot to the testicles by P.J. <laughs> on Tatum. While people were going, oh, that was inadvertent. I don't think so. And then, uh, you know. Zero the, the chance moments. that was inadvertent. Zero chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and P.J. Tucker, I can give him credit. He didn't score. He never scores. But he did some dirty work last night. And he gave them kind of an attitude. And let me just say, like, t- Tobias Harris, who, I, you know, is – they they need more offense from him, and I'm watching him. Again. God, this guy has such a tendency to be invisible, and he hit a monster three point shot with about the, at the four minute mark, which tied the game at 107, uh, which was a great uh, a great shot. And then uh, the key another key possession. Of course, we talk about this now. Maxi the, the drive, the score, the foul call, and it looked to me like uh, Marcus Smart had gotten outside the uh, the restricted area, and I thought, sure, they were going to reverse that call and call an offensive foul. And I guess what the ruling was is that Maxie had started the shot process and got up in the air before Marcus Smart had actually established that position outside the, the restricted area. So it was a key call that went in favor of the Sixers. He makes a three-point play and knocks the score down to 111 to 110, the Sixers – uh, trailing by a point, and then Al Horford scores uh, after two offensive rebounds on their next possession. So it's one thirteen to one ten with one fourteen left. That's where Reed gets fouled going to the basket, closes down one thirteen to one twelve, and then the Boston Celtics, other than the two free throws by Jason Tatum, they get the the, the pass from Brogdon, the, the bonehead pass that results in the maxi layup, and then Jason Tatum panicked and choked and you know when that ball went out of bounds I don't know why he decided to push Paul Reed Reed was going out of bounds with that basketball and it, the, the, the Sixers may have had to give up possession on that to Boston instead he he frustratingly pushes Reed out of bounds and that's when Reed goes back to the foul line Boston lost their poise last night 
and I expect that they they won't play the same way. In fact, I think they'll smoke the Sixers in, in game two. But um, where they stand now, let's talk about it, Darren. Do they have a chance to win this series? They yes, they absolutely have a chance to win this series. I think they go back to Philly one one. You try and it, it, keep it one one in Philly. Go back to Boston for the all important game five. Look, a lot of these series where you have two tough teams. And going into this series, I thought Boston was the better team because they've had the Sixers number. The Sixers do not match up well with Boston. Uh, But, you know, if you can get it to game five tied at four and win that game, that's all you need. That's not all you need. That's right there. It puts you right there. All right? So win game five. You know what? By the way, the Sixers are going to be really loose tomorrow night. Really loose. I mean, mean, it's a pretty good play to play Boston. But what if... The Sixers will lose by double digits in game I, they two. Probably I, I, I don't think there's any, any question they, about they it. They probably will. But you never, like, they, when a team has complete, nothing to lose, anything can happen. They can't do it twice in a row, though. The, the thing about, like, you can catch a team like Boston off guard in game one because of that letdown factor of no MB. You can't catch them off guard in game two. They're going to get their ass drilled, and they're going to, they didn't defend. They didn't defend the Sixers. They were content to score and not think the Sixers could score enough to beat them. So that's going to change. Their defensive mindset is definitely going to change in that game. And I, and they'll smoke the Sixers. Not that it matters, because I expect that Boston's going to win that game anyway, no matter what the score is. And they'll probably the take Sixers advantage are- of the fact that the Sixers, without a beat, can't get a board in the paint at all. They can't do anything in the paint without him. It's really bad. Yeah, and what I see is Reed in foul trouble early in the game. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are going to go wrong. And Harden's not going to play like, like Harden. So I, I would expect, I, I in fact, I don't know what the line is, but is it a violation for me to bet Boston? In game two, <laughs> because I'm, I'm looking for good value. <laughs> All right, so we we don't know about Embiid. Uh, last night he had the uh, Balenciaga. Early line is nine and a half, Mike. Oh, it's nine and a half. Nine and a half oh, is the early line. Short. That's short. <laughs> I thought it would be twelve. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, now I have to think about it. But anyway, what do you think? Uh, Embiid had a nice uh, uh, Balenciaga uh, sweatshirt on with the holes in it last night. You look good. A little later, we'll talk about Harden's outfit. Yeah, but uh, that's your that's your Sixers top uh, at a spot we call the current on the Mike Misnelli podcast. Uh, so let's get to some other issues here. Um, the return of Bryce Harper tonight. The Phillies got waxed last night, yeah. and Taiwan Walker is now a problem. Uh, they gave up a lot of extra base hits last night, uh, and but Bryce Harper returns to the lineup tonight about a month before he was expected to return. And I know there are people out there are going to think, oh, it's too soon. In fact, I read a, a comedy inquiry. Is it too soon? It's not too soon if the doctor says it's not too soon. That's the thing about uh, this medical condition. The doctor is the one checking him out. The doctor thinks he can play. He can play. So I, I don't have any worries that it's too soon for Bryce Harper to play. And I, you know, is he going to slide and we're going to worry? I guess. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out. But the return of Bryce Harper changes the lineup a little bit. The Dodgers are favored tonight. It's Strom against Urias. Um, Trey Turner's in a slump. So uh, I, I don't know what they're going to do with Turner. I I had two lineups for tonight. If I'm um, topper, uh, maybe I get Turner back in the leadoff hole to get him going. I, I, I probably would do that uh, at this point. So my lineup tonight would be Turner, Schwarber, Harper, Castellanos. 
Marsh has been moved up. And the only reason I got him batting fifth is the righty-lefty-righty thing. As Castellanos, Marsh, Real Muto it's in the six-hole, Bohm, seven. And I moved Stott down to eight and Sosa nine. Now, I don't know if they'll do that with Stott because he's, you know. He's, They're not going to move him down to eight, Mike. No, they, they probably won't. But I, I don't know where else you would put him in this lineup if you're going to make Trey Turner the leadoff hitter. So uh, the lineup that pr- you probably see would be Stott, Turner, Harper, Castellanos, Schwarber moving to five, Rio Muto six, Marsh seven, Bohm eight, and Sosa. Nine. I think that that's might a much more realistic lineup. By the way, we were in spring training, Mike. Larry Boa told us months ago. This is two months ago. He's like, Harper's going to be back way before schedule. Way before. Well, he, he's apparently a master healer. I, he, uh, he's not of this world. <laughs> There are two things that uh, I look at with Harper and and this Tommy John. If the the surgeon who did it says he's healed and he can play, I've got no problem. My my only beef here is that like he has tried to slide feet first. I don't I think it it muscle memory when he needs to slide. He's not going to slide feet first. It's like after you take a golf lesson, you go, yeah, you know what? Next time I play. Uh, I'm going to do this. And then you completely lose it out of your head and you go back to what you think feels natural. And, and the other thing is the the violent swing of his. And I know Tommy John's surgery is not supposed to affect your swing here, but his swing is different than many other guys. He He's a violent swinger. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if he can respond well and play game after game as the DH with uh, you know the soreness he's going to experience. So, Phillies and Dodgers tonight, the return of Bryce Harper. Sixers win. Harper returns to the lineup. And now it's time to talk about the Eagles draft. Of course, we're feeling good about all three of these things here. So let's get to the uh, the NFL draft. It seems like an awful long time ago. Uh, but the Eagles seemingly won the NFL draft. Crafty trade to get the nine to get Jalen Carter, who had slid down for obvious reasons. I thought it was a masterstroke pick. The people that are looking at it, if they have a worry, it's it's two worries. Number one, it was the stuff uh, off the football field where uh, the two people died when he was involved in an irresponsible drag racing incident. And the other thing was he was kind of out of shape for his pro day, which is surprising because that, you know, that speaks to a mindset that you're supposed to be ready for something like that. And he wasn't. And he cramped up and you had to cut the the. Uh, the workout's short, but I, the way I look at it, he's a pro player now, okay? And pro players, there's peer pressure. He's got a, a, a kind of a home system with all these guys from Georgia uh, who will be able to stay on him. He's got veteran players who will be able to stay on him. He's got a different responsibility now. I think guys that are really talented will uh, uh, definitely warm up to that kind of thing. So I, I really don't have a worry about Jalen Carter. What I know is that the drafting – uh, of Jalen Carter and then the, the the defensive end Nolan Smith, they got at thirty makes the Eagles have a home run draft. They've got guys that immediately go into the rotation. They've got a rotation of four defensive end. They got a rotation of four defensive tackle. That's what they value most. They got that out of this draft. Now the rest of the draft, I mean, who knows? Uh, apparently, they got some good players who can play uh, either corner or or safety. Uh, they picked up a quarterback who's probably not, you know, has no bearing on, uh, at all on, on on what they're going to do for the next several years. Well, he's going like, to compete they, with Ian Book for the third for third string job. That's all. Third string do. quarterback. And I remember they they picked a guy like him, uh, uh, Thor, Thorson from Northwestern, oh. who was the same t- type of player. 
Uh, I don't understand like a drop back quarterback. It, it doesn't fit their system anymore. But uh, okay, so that that doesn't uh, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, uh, so listen, the, the trade for DeAndre Swift is also a masterstroke by Howie Roseman because people were lamenting the fact that oh you got to take B. John Robinson. Well, and take B. John Robinson. They they traded for DeAndre Swift. And here's why I look at DeAndre Swift and I look at he's been inconsistent and he's been banged up. And he wasn't the favorite of Deuce Staley. If you watched Hard Knocks, you saw Deuce always getting on him. DeAndre hit the hole, hit the hole. And, and we had the same worries with Miles Sanders. But he is such a lethal weapon uh, catching the ball out of the backfield with uh, RPOs. I, I, I just think it's going to be fantastic. Those bubble r- uh, routes are going to be able to run with him. Uh, and, and if you want tough yards between the tackle, you got Rashad Penny, you got uh, Boston Scott. Uh, you got game well. So I, I don't think it's that necessary. Uh, you, you use Swift in, in a, a, a specific role, and he's going to pay dividends. He's also in the last year of a contract, which means he's got to play well to get that next deal. The Eagles have no risk here. They're, they're paying him on a rookie contract, and then they'll have to decide after the year whether, whether they want to resign him. And for the Eagles to resign him, and DeAndre Swift knows the same thing, he has to have a big year. So your thoughts on the Eagles draft? I thought they hit it out of the park like you. But, I mean, what can you? Nobody thought Nolan Smith would would follow them at thirty. It's a it, it's it's a no brainer. You have to take them there. I, you know, it is astonishing to me that a team like Chicago, who desperately needs defensive linemen, would be that scared off of Jalen Carter uh, to let the Eagles have that pick and let them take Carter. It, it really is. It's interesting to me. So, and, and that's why some teams are bad for. Uh, extended periods of time because they're afraid to take risks. You, ha- you can't be afraid to take risks in the NFL, and that's what the Eagles have been doing, and it's been paying off for them. In the later rounds, the safety out of Illinois, he's a he's like a he, – he, I've heard him describe a it as a missile. He's a real hitter, and I like yeah, him. He he, a he, lot of he's a hitter, and, and in, this, yeah, in the second round, they got uh, Tyler Steen, yeah. uh, offensive lineman for, from Alabama. Um, they, listen, they, their prints were all over the SEC, which is a good thing to do. Yeah, that's it, all it really is. Georgia SEC and LSU guys, and they got the tackle from yeah, Texas, you, you, by the way, you, in the late round. You can't round go wrong. Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith from Georgia, Tyler Steen, Alabama, Sidney Brown, South Carolina, uh, Ringo from uh, uh, Alabama, uh, Tanner McKee, Stanford quarterback. Ringo's Georgia, but yes. Uh, excuse me, Ringo back to yeah. Georgia, so another Georgia player. Yeah. Uh, Tanner McKee doesn't fit as the quarterback, and uh, Moro Ajoma, I have no idea whether, whether he But DeAndre Swift is a great trade for the Eagles. He's very versatile. You'll run smoke with him. You'll run China. You'll run the, my favorite route in football, which is the wheel. There's a lot of things you can do with a back like that. And in their system, Swift should have a huge year. All right, let's talk more about the NFL draft. Welcome to our featured guest of the Mike Maselli podcast today. He's a big one. We've had him on before. I love to talk football issues with him. He is, of course, the, the pride of why I'm missing. Uh, he's the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can check him out on social media at Ross Tucker NFL. And a little later, we're going to be talking about this thing he's got going, which we talked about before, called My Front page story which is a really cool idea of course he is a product of princeton university and i I can't forget he did play the nfl for a lot of years the great ross tucker joins us hello ross mike what's up man always good to see you always good to hear your voice always good to talk with you Um, i'm not going to get into it because we say it every time we talk but just make sure if you're a listener or a viewer and you like penn state football at all and if you didn't read Mike's book from 86, you're doing it wrong. It's my favorite book ever. So you need to do that. 
Yes. I love Mike. I love Mike that you're, I mean, I don't think there's that many like longtime sports talk radio stars, hosts, whatever, that also wrote books. You're like in a pretty, uh, I feel like we, I I feel like that's a very small Venn diagram, like hosted on air for 20 years and also actually like wrote books. (laughs) But you got to remember that I started, like I was a writer before I was a a sports talk guy. Oh no, I know, I know, I know. But that's just what I think it's funny. It was always, you know, I don't, and I'm ashamed of myself that I haven't done more writing in in, uh, in all those years. But and I've got a children's book out now, Ross. You got any uh, little nieces or nephews? My daughters are nine with... and eleven. I don't know. If they, are they too well, old for that now? Yeah, it might be a little too old, but you, they can read it themselves. It's called The Adventures of Shima the Sheba. It's a it's my dog narrating a book through my head. So as you can imagine, <laughs> nice. Uh, I love it. A, I love it. It might be crazy. All right, let's talk some some uh, Eagles draft. Uh, everywhere I turn, uh, the Eagles are being lauded for a great draft. I got to admit, I'm kind of blown away myself. So let's just, uh, generally speaking, how do you think they did in this draft? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think they did fantastic. And I will say this. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate after this, okay, Mike? I'll play devil's advocate after this. But I'll start with this, right? You know, we all read the mock drafts from the experts, the guys that do this year-round uh the Mel Kuypers and the McShays and Daniel Jeremiah and whoever, there were not very many mock drafts where Jalen Carter actually fell to the Eagles, right, to 9 or 10. I mean, most of them he was going 5 or going 6 or going 8. So, obviously, we feel like the Eagles did well there to get a guy that might be the best player in the draft. Now, listen, there is a percentage he's a bust. I mean, there's a percentage that the red flags come to roost and it doesn't work out. What I think the calculation was by Howie was, you know what? Yeah, I know that there's some percentage chance that it doesn't work out for him here, but we got a better chance in Philly than anywhere else. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Fletcher in his prime, so he's got a mentor. And he's got four of his teammates in the last two years. I mean, if anybody's going to keep him on the straight and narrow – doing the right things, it's high-character guys like N'Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith. So whatever that percentage chance is that he's a bust, doesn't work, I think it's lower in Philly because of the infrastructure that they have. Then they get Nolan Smith at 30. I mean, every mock draft I saw, he was going to Atlanta at 8 or Philly at 10. So I, I, I encourage anyone, go ahead and find a mock draft anywhere where Nolan Smith was still there at 30. And then even like Keely Ringo. There's not a mock draft, you know, that we, we all know there's those psychopaths that do the seven-round mock drafts, that there was no seven-round psycho mock draft where Keely Ringo was still there in the fourth round. So they did very well. Here's the other point I make, guys, with getting DeAndre Swift. The Eagles got the two best players on Saturday. I mean, Keely Ringo was supposed to go maybe late one or two. They get him in the fourth round with the trade. And then DeAndre Swift is a known commodity. I was watching some highlights of him, and this is not a knock on Miles. Miles had a good career in Philadelphia. Miles is a good player. I'm glad he got his money in Carolina. Great for Miles. I don't think he's better than DeAndre Swift. I mean, I'm watching the highlights of DeAndre Swift. That guy is explosive. He's better in the passing game than Miles was. Maybe Miles is a little bit more durable. Maybe. But here's the other thing, Mike. They got four running backs, Boston Scott, Gainwell, Rashad Penny, who's a stud when healthy, and DeAndre Swift. 
Those four guys combined are making a million dollars less than Miles Sanders. A million dollars less than just Miles. So this is uh, this is an example to me clear uh, of how we play in chess while everybody else is playing checkers. Because here's the thing with DeAndre Swift. It's his contract year. If he's ever going to have a big year and ball out, it's this year. Yeah, everything you said makes sense. And uh, I thought that uh, they were, they were going to trade down and grab Carter. I, I, I just had the sense that that's the guy they wanted, and he kind of fell to them. They, don't, they had to trade down one spot. Um, but you're right about, like, in the culture of pro football, first of all, the first guy I thought of was N'Kobe Dean because he was always that leader at Georgia, always yeah. kept guys straight, and now he's going to be around him again, which to me is a fail-safe, uh, uh, having him there. Uh, but the other thing is, he's now going to be on a, a professional football player training regiment. Like it's one thing to play in college and yeah, they try their best, but when you're in the NFL, they make sure that you're in shape and, and you're right. Peer pressure is going to make sure. So I, I think it's a very small risk that this guy is going to be a bust. Well, and uh, of course, Nolan Smith is, is, goes without saying, yeah, you know, what's but funny, Mike, about DeAndre's- Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, you know, what's no, funny. The, the book on Jalen Carter is that he likes playing football he doesn't love the other stuff, right? Like lifting weights. And I saw a report out there, meetings, stuff like that. And I will say this, as a former player, it's pretty hard to really excel in the NFL if you're not putting the time in and if you're not, if you don't love the pro- Like that's hard, man. You got to get mentally ready. It's such a mental game at that level, mm-hmm. physically ready. But I also looked at it the other way. Think about how good he was. Like, if the Eagles get him to do that stuff, how good? I mean, how good can he be? He was already the best player, and he wasn't practicing, wasn't lifting weights. If they actually get him to do that stuff, he could yeah. be scary good. And there are so many more people that are going to get in his ass if he doesn't do it. So uh, that's why I think it, it was a, a very little risk. Now, I talk about DeAndre Swift, and I'm going, how how do they stop the, that RPO that they run with DeAndre Swift, who just has soft hands and, and can turn it up? It's, it's lethal. With him in this offense. Well, it's, what's interesting about it is I guess the Lions soured on him because he just wasn't able to stay healthy. And Deuce, that was bothering Deuce, who's the running back coach out there. And he said the difference between being hurt and injured. And okay, um, again, though, if he's going to stay healthy and play through injury, it's going to be a contract year, number one. Number two, remember that first game last year? I mean, he tore the Eagles up. Yeah. That was the best defense the Eagles have had in a long time. They finished, what, first in the league. He had like 150 yards on 15 carries (laughs) against the Eagles. I mean, they couldn't tackle him. I think, can you imagine when he became available? Like, of course we're going to try to trade for DeAndre Swift. We didn't stop him once the whole game. And here's the thing. Okay, he gets hurt. Well, that's why you still have Gainwell and Boston Scott and Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny gets hurt a lot, too. Maybe they can take turns. Who gets hurt when? Yeah, the thing about he knows about Deuce and his relationship with DeAndre Swift is that you know, Deuce was a harder nosed guy. The other the game breaker. So in hard knocks, it was always hit the hole. Like, you know, don't go wide. Hit, get in there, and that was his frustration with him. But this RPO offense, they don't really, have, you know, they're going to do it sometimes. But I would, I would get him in space all the time. Uh, all right, so let's talk about some some other guys here. Um, how many of these other guys do you think actually contribute? And Nolan Smith will be a rotation guy. Uh, obviously, Carter, they have a great rotation. They have four and four. Uh, the other, the, the two safeties, how, how, where do they figure here in this thing? 
Well, so here's what's interesting, right? Because Carter and Nolan Smith were needs, but they were also clearly best player available. I think they're two picks in the third round. Tyler Steen at 65 and Sidney Brown at 66. I think that, I think Mike, my guess is, nobody told me this. I was working for the Eagles the weekend, but nobody told me this. My guess is they probably really considered Ringo there, but they probably thought, man, we have Bradbury, we have Slay, we have Maddox. They needed a safety and they needed another O-lineman. I mean, Steen can play tackle or guard and You know, none of us, myself included, everybody that watches the preseason games knows I love Cam Juergens. That guy was unbelievable last year. But I've never seen him play guard. I've only seen him play center, right? So Steen, to me, the floor at right guard for the Eagles is Driscoll because we've seen Driscoll at right guard, and he's fine. My guess is they'll have Juergens and Steen battle it out and let the best man win. But now at least they have competition. And even if Steen doesn't win that job, he's probably the next guy to go in at left guard and left tackle. He's kind of the Andre Dillard. And he's going to play. He's going to start some games. I mean, that's just the way it is. And then Sidney Brown, I'm telling you guys right now, everybody in Philly, going to be a fan favorite. I am not saying he's as good as these players. Okay, I'm not. But when you watch him, you think like Polamalu, you think like Bob Sanders, a little bit of B-Doc, like he's a kamikaze. He misses too many tackles, but this dude is a heat-seeking missile. He is so fun to watch, and I would not be surprised at all if he starts at safety for the Eagles. I mean, this is a guy played five years, hard of 50 games. Steen played five years, hard of 50 games. They're actually really similar. Played a ton of ball, can play multiple positions, and I would be I'd be surprised if Brown and Steen don't each start some games this year for the Eagles. All right, so you're saying Ringo will then st- stay at corner, uh, and a lot of people think he's just the maybe a slot corner. Do you think he's an outside corner? Yeah, I think he's a textbook outside corner. You know what's okay. weird about this? The book on uh, Ringo is he can't stop. So he's really tall and really strong and big, and he's super fast. But it's getting out of his break, getting out of his back pedal, right? But we showed some clips. He can do it. I guess I'm wondering how much of it's a technique issue and how much they can get him to be better coming in and out of his breaks. If he can't, then I think eventually they probably will move him to safety. But I think they'll start him out at corner because they need a starting corner for a year or two from now. We're talking to Ross Tucker. He's got the Ross Tucker uh, podcast, and uh, he's all over the NFL, and uh, we'll be bringing you Eagle preseason games, which, which should really be fun uh, on what they look like because a lot of people think they've, wow, look at this. This team went to the Super Bowl. They're, they're guaranteed to go back with this draft and the moves they made. It's not that easy. I get it. So where are they weak? Where do they need to add? I didn't see much at linebacker here, but they don't, they don't really – they don't see much at linebacker on purpose. So wh- where do they go here? Well, I think you make a good point, by the way, that it's pretty hard to be a Super Bowl team and get five guys draft weekend that are going to play for you. But Carter Smith, Steen, Brown, and DeAndre Swift are going to play for him. Ringo, probably not. I don't even know if Ringo will beat out McPherson to be the next corner. I mean, McPherson's pretty good. He hasn't had a chance to play because they've stayed healthy, but McPherson would be my guess is the next corner. But those they got five guys that will play for them. Um you know, I thought they might bring in some competition at wide receiver. 
Uh, but I think they kind of already did that with Olamide Zacchaeus. You know, by the way, I did the St. Joe's Prep State Championship game in Hershey, Mike, when Zacchaeus was a senior and DeAndre Swift was a sophomore. Those were the two starting running backs for the prep, whatever year that was. And now they both play for the Eagles, which is wild. And then you're right about linebacker. I thought they would bring in some linebackers. Now, Christian Ellis balled out on special teams last year. They still have him. Obviously, N'Kobe Dean and Morrow are probably the projected starters right now. Part of me wonders if Nolan Smith can be like a Micah Parsons in the sense that he is an off-the-ball backer in rundowns, and then you move him up to the line when it's passing situations. I think that's a possibility for Nolan Smith. Again, they announced him as an edge guy. Nobody said that to me, but he's 6'2", 238. I mean, he's kind of like built like Parsons, and they could try some of that stuff with him. But remember this, too. There's still a lot of time before the first game. I mean, I, I would think at some point they probably throw one more linebacker in the mix. All right, let's let's uh, let's go around the, the NFL. And uh, I know people like to critically do this on who had uh, good drafts and who uh, had had you scratching your head. Well, what are some of your impressions about uh, how all these teams drafted? Well, um, the one that jumps out to me just poor would be the, the Jets. I mean, the Jets, man. You know, I they they're one of the they're one of those franchises, Mike, and all their fans are mad at me. But what do I care about Jets fans? Nothing. <laughs> um, you know, they do things. I think often for selling tickets. I mean, I've never seen a team post as many social media videos as they have of Aaron Rodgers. It's like oh. Here's Aaron Rodgers walking into the building in slow-mo. Here's Aaron Rodgers with, like, sneakers or flip-flops on. They made him go out on the field. He didn't have cleats on. They're like, Aaron, just go out on the field and throw one pass so we can do these slow-mo videos. I mean, tomorrow it'll be, here's Aaron Rodgers going to poop. I mean, like, it's unbelievable every video they have of Aaron Rodgers. Oh, he's at the Islanders game. Oh, now he's at the Knicks game. Like, I know they're paying him $60 million for one year. They're probably going to make that back in the season tickets that they're selling and in the jersey sales. Uh, I think that's why they overpaid to get him. But then you do that flip with the, with, the, um, with the Packers, which allows the Patriots to be in between you and who you want. And the Patriots trade down with the Steelers because the Patriots knew the Jets wanted to take Broderick Jones and that the Steelers would steal him from the Jets. So then they take Will McDonald. Taking Will McDonald over Nolan Smith is like mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling. And you, I, you'll, I'll never believe for a million years that they wouldn't have drafted Broderick Jones if he was there. But they're one of these bad teams that telegraphs the position where they want to draft somebody. So that everybody else knows and can jump in front of them. Like the Cowboys and Dalton Kincaid, the tight end. So, so this is Joe Douglas, who everybody lauded here. Uh, so you're saying maybe he's not as savvy as uh, we are led to believe? I think Joe Douglas knows a good football player and knows how to draft Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner. That's not the same as being a good negotiator, Mike. That's not the same, you know, whether it's, you know, contracts or whether it's the trade for Aaron Rodgers. Although, look, I'm a big self-interest guy. 
These guys all look out for their own self-interest. This is his fifth season. Okay, Mike? This is Joe Douglas' fifth season. Guess what? He gets Aaron Rodgers. They're going to make the playoffs this year. And once they make the playoffs, they have the longest drought of any pro franchise in the four major sports. So they're going to make the playoffs. Joe Douglas is going to get a new contract. I don't know, four years, 20 million bucks, whatever. What does he care about the first round pick next year? Okay. Aaron Rodgers and this trade are how Joe Douglas gets a contract extension. Uh, More power to him. He's a genius. I would have done the same thing. I want, I want what, I want what's best for me. I want to make the playoffs that Woody Johnson gives me a contract extension that I might not even deserve. Yeah, no, you're right. He got that down cold. Let's talk about the, the quarterbacks quickly. Uh, Richardson, I, and I, I just, I, I'm just not on board with, with the, uh, you know, with the flash that, that is shown instead of the production. Uh, but then, you know, you get the kid, Will Levis, who goes to 32nd pick. What, what was your spin on uh, beyond the first two quarterbacks that were taken? Well, I knew, and I said this before the draft at Ross Tucker NFL, if you don't believe me, check out my social media. I knew that Levis was going to fall. There was only three teams that were definitely going to get a quarterback, okay? When we knew Bryce Young was going to the Panthers. So what do you want, Mike? If you want, like, the polished pocket passer, the guy that's ready to go, well, that was Stroud. You're not going to take Levis. You're going to take Stroud. If you want the high upside, you know, cannon arm, fast, you know, what? that was Richardson. Levis kind of got stuck in the middle. You know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't have the upside of Richardson but wasn't ready to go and polished like Stroud. He was kind of in the middle. And so there was no, like, argument for why that should be the guy. And that's kind of why I felt like Levis fell. Right, do you like him? No, I don't. Do you like Levis? No, I don't. don't. Like him. There's something okay. weird there. There's something off there. Well, first of all, okay, I know that the Kentucky offensive line wasn't great. And then he, he, the skill guys weren't great. He's still the one throwing the ball. Or in a lot of cases, he's still the one not throwing the ball and getting sacked. We saw both of those a lot. He's still responsible for that. And this might sound stupid, okay? Who's the most jacked Hall of Fame quarterback? I can't really think I, of one. You ever see those pictures I, yeah, of, I, of, of Levis on Instagram? Like, he's got yeah. muscles on top of muscles in his back. I mean, he is yoked up. I, I, I love him for it. That's great. I wish I looked like that. I mean, I'd go to the Jersey Shore every day and just wear a Speedo if I looked like Will Levis. Okay? I got no problem with that. But for some reason, nobody that looks like that's a good quarterback. He, like, you think about like the strongest – like Brady Quinn was pretty yoked up. Didn't really work out for him. When I played with Brady, yeah. all Brady talked about was pliability, flexibility. Well, if you're muscle-bound – you're not flexible. You're not. I mean, I'm not saying it's a negative, but there's got to be something to it. I mean, maybe Cam Newton. I, I like. I can't think of other like totally shredded, jacked up, yoked quarterbacks. Like that's the Mannings look like they're like frat boys. Like you know what I mean? Like you just don't see that. Yeah, that's, it's a great point. Uh, let me ask you about one other quarterback because I can't believe this ever. This happened. The Packers took Sean Clifford, uh, who. It's like he's got a medical degree, I believe. He was there at Penn State seven years, so he got all that good curriculum in there. Uh, what? Sh- what? Sean Clifford? Mike. Come on. Mike, I watched every snap Sean played for four years. 
I'm thrilled for him that he got drafted. Um, I'm happy for him. He represented Penn State very well off the field, even though it was certainly rocky at times on the field. But that is not an NFL quarterback. I mean, he's not a pro quarterback. And I guess they think he might be their backup this year. He's going to compete with this other guy. He won him over in the meeting. You know, coaches get – sometimes if, if the kids – and I can totally see him. That's exactly, he, that's what he, should, he should be a CEO of a company, right? Great <laughs> meeting. Very prepared, smart, good-looking kid, good salesman, not a good pro quarterback. No, but but again, like the kid from several years ago played in the NFL and actually started in the NFL for a few games. Um, who, who kind of, yeah, Mike McGloin. Uh, so who knows? And McSorley's still getting a paycheck. So at the very least, as a third stringer in the NFL, he might get a couple paychecks. Okay, but then draft him in the seventh round, not the fifth. Yeah, well, I hear that. I don't know what they were possibly thinking on that. Uh, the last question, I don't even know if you can figure it out. You got Princeton degree. This is why I'm coming to you. Now, I have a law degree, and I taught sports law, and I still do not know how the Eagles were able to make Jalen Hurts' contract so cap-friendly. What did they do here? Yeah, okay, good question. First of all, I just decided the Venn diagram of radio hosts with a law degree that wrote a book you're the only person in that Venn diagram, Mike. You're the only person could, in the I, Venn diagram. I could That's be the most one. original two, um, it's, it's option bonuses over several years, which prorate again. Remember this, okay? The salary cap does not forgive and does not forget. And every dollar you give out to a player will be accounted for. So what you need to know is, they got $80 million in proration for his last couple years. So for the next, they basically have to redo it again after the next four years. They're good to go for the next four years. Jalen gets his money. The cap is low. But at that point, they're going to have a come to you know what moment. And they're going to have to redo it because the cap number the last two years will be astronomical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, They'll cross that bridge when they get to it, I guess. It gives them a, a, an option whether they're going to commit to that or not. Don't uh, say well, last question again, Mike. That was already the last one. You, you only get three oh. last questions. Don't say last it's question it. again. I, that, I, I was just ready to say goodbye to you. I had no more questions. <laughs> so, 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 that, so that was it. Hey, uh, I'm well, busting your chops. Like, I'm busting your Bristol yeah. chops. Yeah, I, I, I know you are. How's Tay-Tay doing? Have you been in touch with her? I have Tay-Tay not. Smith. No. Uh, uh, I have did, did not you get any concert tickets. A friend of mine texted me today from Georgia. He said, I, I missed the one where she was in Georgia, but I'd like to fly her up to Philadelphia. Can you, can you get Tay Tay tickets? And I go, the only guy I know who is intimately involved with uh, Taylor Swift because they they grew up in the same town is, is uh, Ross Tucker. So, well, so get, here, here's what I would tell uh, your buddy in Georgia. He can get to the end of the line behind the other 500 people that think I'm going to ask your dad for tickets. Get to the end of the line. I'm not asking her dad for anything other than maybe for me and my daughters. Maybe. Uh, well, if you got daughters, then I, I you, you've used up the, the gift. I just, I t- hey, listen, I took a shot, man. Uh, hey, at least you can tell your buddy you tried. Yeah, I'm going to tell my producer, Darren, 
He went to Y Missing High, Darren uh, Ross did. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, our basketball team wound up playing for a state title. One of the teams we whooped ass on. All right, Mike, I got to go. See you later. Was Y Missing. <laughs> Why am I missing? All these Caucasians came into the palestra and they limped out. I'm not surprised. <laughs> See you guys. Ross, thanks, man. We'll talk to you. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, it's time now for Mike Unleashed. Mike Unleashed is where I go all over the place on certain topics that stick into my head. We'll make it quick today, Mike Unleashed. Uh, I want to first talk about James Harden's outfit last night. Um, it's something I wouldn't wear, but James Harden can pull it off because he wears these crazy outfits. It was like an extra, extra, extra large bell-bottom look with a denim type of thing, and and he strolled in like it was like dress-like. Um, here's the thing I wonder about these. Uh, listen, the Heat pulls it off, all right? I, I couldn't pull up, but like, where do you wear that again? James Harden is a guy who wears such distinctive clothing that there's no way he can wear that twice. Like he's got, he probably has a closet full of stuff that he can't wear because he knows that people say, "Oh, you wore that coming into the game." I remember that. You can't, you wearing that again. So he, that's a one wear type of thing. And most of these guys are the same thing. I, I, I'm envious that they could have a wardrobe where they could just wear one thing once and it's just there for the rest of eternity. So that Harden, they will never wear that again. And he, he unveils it last night. And most of the outfits he wears, I've never seen him wear the same thing twice. He's got an outfit for every time he's going to be on TV. But again, once it's on TV, you can't come back with it because now people have seen it. Uh, interesting outfit by Jimmy last night. All right, uh, Mike Unleashed, let's go to this one, the sideline reporter. Um, a couple uh, uh, things. So Sunday Night Baseball, Schwarber had the microphone on. Now, when it's a guy like Schwarber with the mic, you get value. Most of the time, you don't get any value out of that. Most of the, and, and most of the time, when they mic up these guys, they use the most bland stuff that they say. They ne- they never use anything that's that exciting. So I go, well, what's the point of it? Uh, you got to pick your spots. Most of it is boring. Most of the time, they don't want to uh, either embarrass the player or I don't know what the rules are, but they don't use the good stuff. Darren, have you noticed that? Yeah, and I, that's why I'm a little annoyed by it. Like, like he's <laughs> you can see, like, like, what's he supposed to do with a mic on him? The ball's hit between him and Marsh. And you can see him going, oh, shit. Well, like, no, he, see, here's the thing about Schwarber. He embraces yeah. it. So it does. he can he can talk right in the middle of the ball. Could, could he's, off the bat, right. he's still talking. Because he, but he, he and he was it. good. And he was good. And I remember during the Field of Dreams game last season, Joey Votto was mic'd up for the Reds. And he was spectacular. I mean, he was just. He was saying, walking him through the game, walking him through his thinking, that's yeah. good. But a lot of times they, they'll mic a guy yeah. who's, you know, he doesn't, nothing wrong with this, but he doesn't speak full English. And, you know, they're, they're, he's having difficulty communicating. And to me, it's just a little bit of an annoyance. Well, they mic'd up Trey Turner, I think, earlier. Trey didn't give him anything either. Trey's not that big of a personality. I think you got to really pick your spots on that. Uh, but anyway, let me get to the sideline reporters in the NBA. I, I, do, I do not understand the need to bring a coach over and ask an uh, innocuous question. I, I, the questions aren't 
deep enough to be interesting. Like you, you're getting a coach, you're bothering him. First of all, he's trying to coach his team and there's a little break in the action. He's got to come over and he's got to do, do these interviews. Now I know it's part of the deal because of the rights fees they pay. It's got to be part of the deal, but you, you're not going to be able to ask a good enough question in those interviews. And those guys just want to get out of there and get out of there. You can tell here's, you can tell while, uh, why they don't want to do it. They never call the interviewer by his or her name. Have you noticed this? Like I'm thinking, so they don't want to be there. They don't want to do it. Like they they have no familiarity with it. So, and, and to me, it's more awkward than than it. Maxie's last night. Okay, he was speaking so quickly, just trying to get through and say the most generic answers as fast as he could. I couldn't understand a single word he said. You trying? Yeah, but but see, Maxie's not bad. I, I, I the coach is doesn't want to get Maxie has fun. Mac Maxie's a fun guy. That's not a bad choice. The coach doesn't like that. Joe Mazzul is a miserable bastard, and, and some and most of them are. And, and so I, you know, it, it's awkward to, to hear it. But let me just go over the one little thing before we get to three questions from Mikey Miss. I'm watching the um, Warriors game, the closeout game against Sacramento Kings, and Steph Curry has an all world performance. He scores 50 points. It was one of the most amazing playoff performances you'll ever see. And I don't want to pick on Lisa Salters because I think for the most part she's good and she's a Penn Stater. The first question to Steph Curry after he scored 50 points was, what did you think of the contribution to Kavon Looney? I'm going, what? <laughs> what kind of a first question is that? Well, seriously, I I don't... I, it was totally unexpected because she usually does a good job. And I'm going, he just scored 50 points in one of the most unbelievable performances of all time. Your first question is Kavon Looney. I don't know if anybody caught that, but here's the thing. Nobody would, would criticize Lisa Salters because you don't, there's no payoff to that. And I'm not criticizing her because she does a good job. I just go, what is going through her mind that she would ask a question about Kavon Looney the first question to Steph Curry after he scored 50. All right, that ends Mike Unleashed for today. Time for three questions from Mikey Miss. Three questions from Mikey Miss. Mike, the other, the other night, Phillies had a dollar dog night. And we talked about it a little bit. The lines are ridiculous. Sometimes the crowd gets a little out of hand. It's a lot of college kids. Um, let me ask you, what, what food item should they have? Because I feel, I feel like dollar dogs is a waste of a dollar event. Give me another food item they should have dollar night for at the ball yard. Well, they can't. They, they can't. It's too much of a loss. Dude, hot dogs are cheap. It's the only I, thing I think you can do with a dollar. You can't have sausage no, and peppers for a no. dollar. That's first of all. That's that's the best item yeah, they have down there. It is very good. Peppers, uh, but but you can't do that for a dollar. Dollar popcorn. People don't like popcorn enough to get dollar popcorn. The hot dog is Americana. It's the only thing you can do for a dollar. That being said, let me just uh, I explain my uh, idea for last week where you have the soup Nazi method. Somebody takes the cash. Somebody has a vat of hot dogs. gives you a hot dog. You move line. It's got to be a cash only event. In fact, I sent an email to uh, uh, Philly's. uh, uh, I think he's the president. His title is the president. Dave Buck. Uh, I sent him an email with my idea. So I'm I'm waiting for a response from Mr. Dave Buck, who I know very well of the Phillies, on whether he thinks that's a good idea. I haven't gotten a response yet, which to me means he's pondering it. <laughs> All right? All right, that, inclu- that concludes Mike Unleashed for today. It's time for three questions uh, from Mike. That was the first question, so we're going to go to question number two. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sorry. 
You're all excited, all excited about, the about the Sixers, man. Go by the way, what about dollar soft pretzels? What about a dollar water ice on a hot summer night? You know, it's not not okay. as much appeal. I would. The hot dog has the uh, the essence of both appeal. Of, I agree, part. but both of those get my attention more than a dollar hot dog. All right, question number two. Um, Mike, is there any movies out there? For me, there are two. One is Uncut Gems. The other is Manchester by the Sea. Fantastic movies. But I'll never, ever, ever, ever watch them again. Is there a movie that you think is a great movie, but you'll never watch again? Yeah, I'd have to think about that. But you, 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 there, there are uh, some movies I think is a great movie that they're, were too disturbing for me to watch again. Uh, the last twenty minutes, I couldn't, I couldn't get that out. It's it's such mayhem that it, yeah, it does it hurt you. It's too it's too mayhemish. Uh, I'd have to think about that. I'll get back to well, you. Give next me week an answer, to that answer to that one. So people be on the edge of their seats. But you're right. I I I, li- I like a certain movie, but I can't watch it again yeah. for for reasons that it, it's either disturbing or it's it's not fun to watch. I, I have defined my life in the past as before seeing Manchester by the Sea, and after. I've never oh, it's seen the Manchester saddest, by the most sea. depressing. It's a great movie. It's well acted. Yeah, it won a lot yeah, of awards. Yeah. It's well written. It's a great story. It's so depressing. It's so hard to watch. I'll tell you what else is in that ilk. Cider House yeah. Rules. Uh, Long time ago. Cider House Rules. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul Rudd's in that. Uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Michael Michael Kane. Kane. Uh, but that's in that same kind of ilk. Great movie. Probably I probably would not there watch you go. it again. Okay. Um, Sixers are playing the Celtics. Question number three, Mike. What is your most hated team in all of the four major sports? No, what I team do you, dis- do you like the least? Then play along. <laughs> Freaking question. <laughs> I don't. I, I, it's funny because I don't have this uh, Dallas Cowboy hatred that a lot of people have. I think when you hate a team, you give them more power. I, I try to rise above it and not like because I'm giving in to them if I do that. So I, I've I've tried to go the other way. Like who cares about them? That's the way I I approach it. So I I don't. I don't really hate teams. For for a while, I guess I hated the Jersey Devils way, back in the heyday when Lindros was playing because of that gimmicky uh, yeah, right wing lock. Ridiculous. They, they did. score one goal game. They won every game one number. Villain. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I kind of hated them, but you know, for the most part, it, most people would say it's the Dallas Cowboys yeah, corner of the market <laughs> on hate. But I always said hating them—that's easy. Into them, Dallas is an easy answer. And I don't yeah. like to do that. All right, you took the one high road on me. I get it. That's three questions for Mikey Miss. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Time for the parting thought today. Parting thought. I was on an airplane recently, uh, a little golf junket with buddies to Florida, and uh, I, I this has always bothered me. Um, you're 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 itching to get home, and you you're close to getting home, and the pilot comes on and he says, um, "Flight attendants, please prepare for landing." Now, by that announcement, you would think that landing was uh, uh, imminent, but it's not. That, that when he makes that announcement, it's another half hour that you're in the air before you even get close to landing. And I always wonder why do they do that? What's the point of doing that? You're just teasing the people who want to land, and you go, "Oh my God, when's this thing going to land? What are they doing, circling?" But they make the announcement a half hour before they're actually close to landing, and it pisses me off. So I would change that whole thing. You, what is that? Pilots, what, are you keeping people in tow? 
Is that what it is? Like you're keeping them orderly by making that? It's a, it's a lie. It's a flat out lie from pilots. So stop it. All right. My parting thought for today. Let's close it out. You can get me at Mike at MikeMiss.com by email. Check me out on Twitter, MikeMiss25. And I want to thank the people for hosting me from an organization called Just Between Friends on Saturday, which is a pop-up consignment store where you can get a lot of kids' items, clothing and uh, strollers and toys and uh, and shoes and all kinds of stuff. It's fantastic. I I had never experienced something like this, but it is a great event for people who can't maybe can't afford the, the new stuff. They come in and they get perfectly good stuff you know people that have babies and they're done with the strollers there's a brand new stroller and they, they they go put it on consignment and i was there to sign copies of my book the adventures of shima the shiba so i want to thank all the people that came for that reason and greeted me i had a great time with them but uh, more importantly my friend elena and that event it happens twice a year called just between friends so check it out online uh for the next one that's going to appear because you can get some really good values and a lot of people showed up and it was a great event to be a part of. So uh, we'll close it down on, on that good note. Sixers, get ready for game two. We'll have another podcast uh, after a game two. Stay tuned for that. It is the Mike Misnelli Podcast. Thanks to Ross Tucker for joining us today. And thanks to everybody for listening. Have a great rest of the day and uh, uh, a great rest of the week. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Misnelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.